Well, good morning. Thank you. It is great to be back with you guys. Um, so I love Proverbs, particularly the first nine chapters of Proverbs that we call the prologue. The rest of the Proverbs are great, too, but they're kind of the one-offs. Uh, the first nine chapters of, uh, of Proverbs really continues to build on itself, and it is so important for really all of us in every stage of life, um, but particularly you guys, as you are considering and growing and, and learning uh, so much, and so hopefully I'll be able to impart just some of that excitement that I have towards Proverbs. So you're going to get me quite a bit over the next few weeks or so. I'm, I'm teaching this week, and then Obviously, as Scott said, we're not meeting next week, but then I have Proverbs 5, and I have Proverbs 7 again with you guys, so you're going to be stuck with me. So I may be the new guy, but I do need some involvement, all right? I'm not going to let you guys just sit there. Uh, so even today, we're going to have some volunteers, so please feel free. If you have your Bibles, make sure you grab them, because we will be certainly looking at Proverbs 4, but we're also going to be looking at some other passages, so I will need volunteers to, to help search there. If you do not already have a handout, please grab a handout. There should be two handouts, one with a big heart on it. And then the other with some questions that, sorry, I know school just started, but this is actually going to be a homework assignment for you guys. But let's start off our consideration of Proverbs in general, and then we'll get into Proverbs 4. But if I had a million dollars, now I don't, so don't get any exciting ideas, but if I had a million dollars and told you you could ask for anything, what would you ask for? Let's hear it. If I had a million dollars, you could ask me for anything, what would you ask for? What? A puppy. That's a very expensive puppy. So, okay. But, yeah. Uh, a miniature house. A miniature house? Okay. Alright, Will's going with the miniature house. I think we can make that happen for a million dollars. Enough money for a college. Okay, pay for college. Yep, I think a million dollars should get you through most of the colleges uh, in this country. So that's good. Any other great ideas? You just want the cash. I like it. So, yeah, a lot more flexibility there. So, well, when we look at Proverbs, who wrote Proverbs or most of Proverbs? This is review. We should all know this by now. Solomon. Solomon. King Solomon, David's son, wrote Proverbs. And he was in a very unique position to not just have a million dollars at his disposal, but he could ask for anything. And what did Solomon ask for? You don't have to turn there because I want you in Proverbs 4, but in 1 Kings chapter 3, we uh, have the record of what Solomon asked for. In, in verse 4, um, uh, excuse me, in verse 5, God asked Solomon, said at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked, or God said, ask what I shall give you. So he asked Solomon, what do you want? I, I'll give it to you. In verse 9, Solomon says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I might discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? And we have God's response in verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. What did Solomon ask for? He asked for understanding. He asked for wisdom. He could have asked for anything. He could have asked for riches or more land to grow his kingdom. He asked for wisdom that pleased God, and God granted him wisdom. Granted him more wisdom than anyone to that time had ever had or has had since. Just think, Solomon, who walked this earth, had more wisdom than anyone who has ever lived. And as we walk day in, day out, uh, 
we should value wisdom just as much as Solomon did. We should value it more than a puppy, more than a, a house. Those are all good and fine things, and we can have fun wanting and thinking about those things as well. But God calls us to desire wisdom above all else. So we're going to explore that uh, continued theme in Proverbs 4. But again, as active review, uh, what is the definition of wisdom? Pastor Scott has put this before you guys the last several weeks. What is our definition of wisdom? Worshiping God by rightly applying his truth to real life situations. You got the entire answer this week. Fantastic. So yeah, so absolutely. So worshiping God by rightly applying his truth, not our truth, his truth to real life situations. And, and many of you know that I'm the director of biblical counseling here at Newcastle. And I could define biblical counseling the same way that we're defining wisdom here. It, you know, the, what counseling is out in the world is different than what biblical counseling is. If you want to know what biblical counseling is, if you come to me and say, Ben, I have a, I have a real life situation, all right? And I will say, I want to help you worship God by rightly applying his truths to that situation. That's what biblical counseling is. That's what discipleship is. When you're interacting with each other, you guys should have the same goal in mind. If you're trying to help a friend who has a tough thing that they're walking through, it's not necessarily to solve the problem, although that can be helpful. It is to have that heart of, I want to help you worship God by applying God's truth. And so we're going to explore that today. What is some of God's truth? And uh, Proverbs, again, particularly the first nine chapters, goes, uh, talks kind of about this, this fork in the road. And we kind of have it drawn up there, so you guys should uh, already know it here, okay? But when we're faced with any issue or situation, what are the two paths that we can take? We can take the path of folly or foolishness, or we can take the path of wisdom. Over and over again, throughout Proverbs, Solomon presents us with two, two paths, two options. You can either choose a path of folly, or you can choose a path of wisdom. Where does the path of folly lead? Your first three chapters, it's already been uh, explained. Where does the path of folly lead? What is the ultimate end of foolishness? Death. Ultimately, foolishness is going to lead to death. Both death in the permanent sense, with eternal separation from God, but also in the very practical, real sense of daily struggle, where uh, things will be made much harder than what God would like to see. If you choose a path of foolishness, a path of folly, it will lead to death. Where does Solomon tell us the path of wisdom leads to? What's the opposite of death? Life. Life. Fantastic. All right. So wisdom, the path of wisdom is going to lead us to the path of life. Both life with eternal communion with God and life with the very practical, real life blessings that God can give throughout, uh, th throughout our lives. Okay. So we're going to see, again, paths of folly. and We're going to see paths of wisdom here in chapter 4. So please, if you do have your Bibles, turn to chapter 4. 
Now, Scott gave me the entire chapter to try to discuss today, uh, and we're going to review the entire chapter, but we're only going to read the last eight verses, and even within those verses, I'm just going to focus on one verse, and then within that one verse, I'm going to focus on one word within that one verse. And that's really the, the amazing beauty of Scripture, is you could spend your entire life studying it, both the entire book, the entire chapter, the entire verse, and then you get to the point where you're even just looking at words, and you will never run out of things to study in Scripture. That's just how amazing it is. So let's turn to chapter 4, and go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read uh, verses 20 through 27, and then we'll do an overview of the entire chapter. So Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing for all their flesh. Here's the verse we're going to unpack today. Keep your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is God's word. Please be seated. Okay, let's pray as we start to uh, unpack and consider these words. Oh, Father, you have given us wisdom. Uh, it is not worldly wisdom. Uh, it is so much more. Let us uh, search for it. Let us value it more than anything else in this world, Lord. You have given us abundantly more than all we could ask or think. And let it be a great treasure to us. Let it be a great guide for our feet as we consider how to walk in the path of wisdom. How we, how we can walk towards the path of life. Lord, protect us from folly. Protect us from foolishness. Protect us from evil so that we may avoid death. Uh, give us just an uh, open heart. That we are going to even consider today what that means. Open our eyes, open our ears as we consider your truth and then apply it to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, Proverbs chapter 4. There's a lot here. Uh, a lot of it's redundant compared to the first few chapters and it's going to continue to be explored over, over the next several chapters. You could break Proverbs 4 down into three main sections. Verses 1 through 13. Uh, I call the theme of Get Wisdom. Here, again, you are hearing Solomon uh, very tenderly, with compassion, a father towards a son, a father towards a child, pleading with his son to get wisdom, to pursue understanding, to value understanding and wisdom as much as he has, right? Over and over again, you're going to hear this, this very um, parental, fatherly uh, a tone in Solomon's voice as he is begging his child to choose a path of wisdom. Now, having my own children, I often have these conversations of helping them see wisdom, helping them see, compare the path of folly with the path of wisdom that, that leads to life. And, and so I really resonate with, with what Solomon is trying to do here with his child. Now, I, I recognize that some of you don't have great fathers or parents or, or may not have some of those influences. But God is still with us. He still gives us this word. He still gives us all the instruction we need to a life of wisdom, a life of godliness. 
So we hear over and over again for, in, in verses 1 through 13, uh, talks about the benefits. He said, if I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. Uh, he, he talks about his own father, which was King David, teaching him. He implores him in verse 5, get wisdom, get insight. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Uh, I love um, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. He's not telling him to pursue money or to pursue fame or to pursue power. He's imploring him to get wisdom. And what is it going to be? It is going to be a graceful garland. It's going to be a beautiful crown. It will add years to your life. Amazing words and very motivational words. In verses 14 to 19, he kind of goes back to what Scott covered last week in chapter 3 of the uh, calls to tell his son to avoid evil. You'll see in, in verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked. Remember last week he went through four or five do not statements. He's got another do not statement. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Why does he continue to repeat these things over and over again? Have you guys been told something one time and then do it perfectly forever? No, we tend to hear it once and then we may not do anything. We may hear it a second time or a third time. And I think Solomon's making the case he needs to hear this over and over and over again. He knows the hard-heartedness of his son. He likely knows the own hard-heartedness of his own self, right? He realizes that God has had to tell him things over and over again. And now he's doing those same things to his son. He talks about just how evil, evil people are. Look at verse 16. How amazing is this? He says, talking about evil people, he says, they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone else stumble. Now, there's a good chance that all of you have been in some type of interaction with evil people. But I, I would dare to say that as you go on, you will see more and more evil in your life. And sometimes it can be hard to make sense of that. But I think in general, we try and give people the benefit of the doubt. We may think, oh, they're not that bad. But I think if we recognize what true evil is, true evil can't even sleep unless they've committed evil or encourage someone else, cause someone else to commit evil. That's just how... The Bible calls that depraved, that the evil heart, the heart that is turned from God is. is they can't even get a good night's rest unless they have been sinning. How sad that is. But again, in a moment of humility, in a moment of honest introspection, I think we need to understand that it's just not the evil out there. Meaning it's just not other people that are evil. We have to recognize that it is oftentimes our own hearts that are evil, our own hearts that are turned from God. We are not pursuing a path of wisdom. We are pursuing a path of folly. And if our day hasn't been completed by uh, fulfilling our unmet desires for folly, then we can sometimes have difficulty even sleeping. How sad that is, but yet how amazing that the grace of God that, that can restore that brokenness uh, in others and in our own lives. Our main focus here, though, is going to be uh, verses 20 through 27. So I want to try and illustrate this, particularly the, the last few verses here, when in verse 25 he says, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and your ways will be sure. So I need a volunteer here. One person to hop on up here with me. You don't have to speak, but you do have to help me out. All right. All right. Adeline, come on. So... Alright, so we didn't set her up for this, but she was going to volunteer. Okay, I want you to stand in this line right here. I 
okay? Uh, face this way. I want you to walk over to that line. That line. Walk over. Okay, that was pretty good. All right, now I want you to do that again, okay? But I want you to look up into the balcony while you're doing that this time. You can't look over here, okay? You need to look up in that balcony the entire time you're walking there. I want you to walk to that same, nope, nothing else. You're looking over here at this balcony, okay? Look over that balcony. I want you to walk to that same line. Still pretty good. All right, we're gonna do this one more time. That was still pretty good, but there's a little bit more hesitation there. It wasn't quite as smooth. Okay. Now I want you to walk straight, but I want to look behind you. You need to look behind you. You cannot look. Turn the other way. This way. All the way behind you. Okay. You need to look completely behind you. No, nothing else to do. Look completely behind you. No, all the way behind you. You gotta be like looking at that door. Turn your body a little bit if you have to. You can't turn all the way around. You still gotta walk straight. So you need to be looking behind you. Okay, so, all right, so I want you to go ahead and start walking and go to that other line, okay? Keep going, gotta get to that line. Hold on, stop! Well, why, why didn't you see that there? It was right there. What were you doing looking back there? This is the way you were going. Why weren't you looking at the path you were supposed to go on? So, so how did that work too well? When she got her eyes off of where she was going, she couldn't see even simple things before it couldn't be even sit down. We'll talk about that later, okay? So we need to help with that. Okay? Why couldn't she, the first time she did it, pretty easy. She was looking right where she went, and she went right there. That seemed pretty easy. When she looked to the side, got a little bit distracted of whatever's going on up there, she started to struggle a little bit. Still made it, but she still struggled. What happened when she looked behind her? What she left, where, where she came from? What happened then? Even if I didn't put this in front of her, do you think she would have made it there? She may have ended up in the back row or maybe up here. It, it could have been pretty ugly, perhaps. Solomon's challenging you to think this way. is keep your eyes looking forward. Gaze, keep your gaze be straight before you. He wants you to ponder or, or consider the, the path that is before you. Remember from Psalms, what does is, what is, uh, the psalmist call God's word? It is a light for our feet, and a, or a lamp for our feet, and a light for our path. With God's word, going straight ahead, staying focused, keeping the main thing the main thing, we are going to be on that path of wisdom. If we start looking to the side, if we start looking behind us, we are going to quickly get into problems. We are going to quickly get into death. And just in case I forget to get back to that illustration later, I do want you to also think through of, of what just happened there, because I let her bump into it a little bit, but what did I do once she got right here? Stopped. I, I stopped her, right? Uh, that's our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to each other, is if we come across uh, uh, another believer who is distracted by what's going on over here, what's going on behind us, and they're coming up on something that's bad, something that's going to cause them hurt and pain, what do we need to do? We need to tell them, stop. You need to, don't do that. Something bad could happen. You're on, you're on the path of foul. You're on the path of death. You need to implore them like Solomon's imploring his son here. Come on, you know, listen to God. Listen to his wisdom. Pursue a path of life. 
the, the path you're going on is going to lead to death. Now, a little bit dramatic here. I, it's unlikely she would have died if she ran into this. She probably would have broken my iPad. That would have been a problem. So, But she could have tripped over it. She could have broken an arm. I see we got somebody with a broken arm here. So, okay, yeah, a broken wrist. So, uh, you know, we have a responsibility to other believers when they're off on the wrong path. We don't just watch them walk off a cliff. We get in there and we get involved in their lives and we challenge them to say, no, that is not what God would have for you. So today we are going to particularly focus on verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. We're going to pursue a, 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 a life or we're going to pursue a path that leads us to life. So again, as a biblical counselor, someone who unpacks this all the time, we are going to be studying the heart. The biblical heart, not the structure with inside your body that uh, pumps blood everywhere, but we're going to be studying the heart. And we're going to understand um, what the Bible says about what the heart is, the different aspects of the heart. Our society, our world would have you believe that the heart is mostly just where you get kind of some feelings, right? I mean, there's lots of different sayings is maybe a courageous, you know, do it with all your heart or... Uh, you know, different things like that. But the Bible has such a more rich uh, and deeper understanding of the heart that I think is vital for all of us. The heart, the word heart, is used nearly 1,000 times in the Bible. It is used more than any other word to describe who you are, or particularly your inner person. We recognize that the Bible puts before us that we have our outer person, our bodies, our physical bodies, but we also have our uh, uh, inner bodies, our inner man. So we have the material, the organic structure that I'm sure you guys are all studying in school now uh, that makes us up. The, the, in, the material stuff, the outer man, but we also have the inner man. And everything of the inner man is the heart. Okay? It is used a thousand times in the Bible. It is used 79 times just in the book of Proverbs. That is second only to one other book. One other book uses the heart more. Bonus for who tells me what other book of the Bible uses the word heart more? I think I heard it. Psalms? Psalms, yes. So you can get double credit if you can tell me how many times it's used. 137 times in Psalms. It's the biggest book. It's used the most as well. Heart is used 137 times, but particularly in Proverbs, 79 times in just 31 chapters. We need to understand that the heart is the control center of our entire lives, and it reveals who we really are. Now, I'm going to fill in this entire diagram, and then we're going to unpack some of this uh, uh, as we go here. But just so you can have it and, and write it down initially, and then we'll start to, to think. But uh, our heart is much more than just our emotions. Our heart is our thinking. You could also say uh, mind or uh, uh, intellect, all kinds of synonyms to describe our thinking. It's more than just our thinking. It's more than just, another word would be uh, knowledge. It's also our feeling center of our lives or our emotions uh, or desires is a word the Bible uses often. Uh, I particularly like the word affections. What are you affectionate towards? Hopefully not just that person in your homeroom class. So 
It's our thinking. It's our feeling. But there's one other aspect of our heart that oftentimes gets overlooked, and that's our doing. It is our will. It is our actions. Again, all synonyms to kind of describe the, the, the same thing here. So biblically, the heart is our thinking, it's our feeling, and it's our doing. And as you see from all the arrows that I have here, it's not necessarily, these, these don't work in a vacuum, right? It's not just that your thinking leads to feeling and your feeling leads to doing. That is sometimes the case, and we're going to see how that is. But sometimes it's going to be your feeling that can lead to your thinking. Or it's your doing that will change your feelings. Or sometimes your doing can change your thinking. In our society, we quickly tend to focus on the thinking is, I just need to know more. We can even study Proverbs and be tempted to think, oh, there's just more things I need to know. And knowing alone is going to lead to the right feelings and is going to lead to the right doing. The other thing I want to highlight while we're looking at the entire di diagram is a lot of times we can think that we've sinned only when we get to this point. Only when we get to the doing. Like, oh, sin is I did something wrong. Well, the Bible actually calls us to a higher standard. It actually says if you felt something sinful, something wrong, you've sinned. The Bible tells us if you thought something wrong, then you've sinned. Sin is not just in the doing. Anytime your heart is turned away from God and towards something else, you have sinned. It is not just in your doing, it is also in your thinking and in your feeling. So yes, there's times when we need to confess and admit what we've done is wrong, but there's also times when we need to confess what we've felt is wrong, or what we've thought is wrong. And this is part of the way that, that God restores our hearts. But I do want us to help understand how do we get about doing what we do? How do we get about doing what we do? Well, in general, a little catchy term you can think of is, I do what I do because I feel what I feel, or I want what I want, or I desire what I desire because I think what I think. If you want to know, why did I do that? Or if you want to know, if you don't want to put it on yourself, want to put it on a friend, why did they do that? Well, they did what they did because they felt what they felt, because they thought what they thought. When we seek to regenerate our minds and grow to be like Christ, we have to take all of these things captive. We need to take our thinking captive. We need to take our feeling captive. We need to take our doing captive to Christ. So we're going to explore that a little bit more as we go. Let's start with thinking or knowing or, or the mind. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us, as a man thinks... In his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you are actually made up of what you think. What you think about yourself, what you think about God, what you think about others, that makes up who you are. And we need to recognize that sin has ruined every one of our minds. Our mind has been corrupted by sin. In fact, Paul uses some pretty graphic language throughout his letters to describe the mind, the thinking center of the heart. He calls it debased. He calls it hardened, blinded, futile, darkened, hostile, deluded, deceived, sensuous, depraved, corrupted, defiled. 
Has anyone described your mind in any of those ways? Have you considered yourself defiled, hostile, deluded? No, we tend to have quite grand thoughts of ourselves. But if we understand the true nature of our hearts and of our, or the mind aspect of our hearts, we have to come to the, the grim realization that apart from God's work in our lives, we are all of those things. And it's very sad to think, and in our society, we can oftentimes think that I just need to change my thinking, and that's going to change everything else. But that's actually not enough. We've got to focus on our feeling and our doing as well. If you have your Bible, uh, uh, turn to uh, Romans chapter 1, we can see that it is not right thinking alone that leads to right doing. Now, oftentimes in biblical counseling, we do focus a lot on people's thinking. You're thinking the wrong thing. You know, you may be afraid of spiders, but if you thought the right facts about a spider, if you saw a daddy long legs and you lose your mind, you're thinking the wrong thing, right? Because there is no possible opportunity that that daddy, daddy long legs is going to be any threat to you. They can't hurt you. They, they can't bite you. They can't do anything. Other than looking gross, they mean nothing to you. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. But wrong feelings don't necessarily have to just be because we've thought the wrong things. Let me read quickly Romans 1, starting in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now listen here. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So they, they know, they, they have the thinking, they have the mind down. It goes on, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were hardened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, God gave them over to their sinful lust. You look in verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So Paul is talking about people that have the right thinking, but their feeling is still wrong because they've suppressed that truth. Now think that through with me. Who knows more about God than anyone? Now, most people won't come up with this, but who knows more about God, knows more information, more thinking, more knowledge, more true knowledge about God than anybody? God. God does know more about himself than anybody, but some other person other than God. There's one other, maybe not even human, somebody else you guys have probably heard of, though. Jesus. Yeah, so Jesus being God? No, not Jesus. Satan. Satan, right. Satan has been in the presence of God. He knows more true facts about God than any of you, than about me, than any of our pastors, or even than Solomon. Because he's actually been there, and he knows God very intimately. Yet does, God have, does Satan have right feelings and right doing? So it's not thinking alone that is going to lead to right feeling and doing. It, it is very important. But all of these I want you to see are interconnected, that it's not, I'm going to start doing the right things if I just start thinking the right things. We have to recognize that in our sinful hearts, it may be wrong thinking that we need to change, but it also may be wrong feeling. Or it may just be, I'm thinking the right things, I'm feeling the right things, but I am still doing the wrong things. Paul does that, and we'll explore that more in a little bit. 
We have to, so then looking at feelings or our desires or our, our affections. And as, as we've explored, right thinking doesn't necessarily give us right feelings or desires. Sometimes our feelings have, have not been captivated by right thinking. So if we're struggling here, uh, I'm not feeling the right thing, you do need to ask yourself, am I thinking of the right thing? Is my thinking driving my feelings? Or, no, I know the right thing, but I'm still not feeling it. Who knows they should read their Bible every day? Who feels like reading their Bible every day? Yeah, most of us don't feel like it. So we recognize that, no, I, I know I'm supposed to. I'm thinking the right things, yet I still don't feel it. So sometimes our feelings are going to lead to changing our thinking. Sometimes our feelings are going to lead to doing, but sometimes our doing is going to lead to our feeling. Sometimes we just have to say, yeah, I recognize, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. I don't feel like it, but I'm still going to do it, and I trust that God will bring about that feeling if I'm faithful and, and do what he's called me to do. And then finally, our, our doing, our doing. You will ultimately choose to either resist God or submit to God. You will either say, yes, I know the right things, but I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. You will ultimately choose. If we look at uh, uh, Titus 2, 1 to 11, and just to keep things moving, I'm just going to read. So you guys are all off the hook of having to uh, read for me here. So, but, uh, Titus 2, 1 to 11, uh, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we are training. Some of the doing is the enacting of the will, training us to, uh, uh, what I particularly like is there, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, affections, emotions, uh, passions you can put in there as well. There are times where our doing, our will needs to take over and we need to renounce these sinful desires, these sinful feelings that we are having. I particularly love verse 11 because it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, all people. It is God's grace that empowers us to be able to renounce those ungodly passions and desires. It is God and God alone. Uh, there will be seasons of your life when your feelings and desires for God are absent. This will require you to enact uh, your will to choose obedience. You will have to use your heart, the will aspect of your heart, to choose obedience. You need to bring your will in line with God's will. Remember what Jesus said, not my will done, but yours, the Father's will to be done. So this is how we were made up. And we could spend a week studying each one of these different aspects that make up the heart, the thinking, the feeling, and the doing. But uh, to, to try and get a little bit more practical for you guys, I want to help you think through how you can transform your hearts. We talked about that wisdom being uh, uh, the uh, worshiping God by rightly applying his truth to real-life situations. So I want to use or help you apply these truths to real-life situations. So how do we transform our hearts? How do we change our thinking, our feeling, and our doing? So, well, we have to recognize first and foremost that it is a work of God. For any of this transformation to take place, this is a work of God. This is not something that you can do on your own. 1 Thessalonians uh, 3, 11 to 13 says, uh, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus 
direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If our hearts are to be transformed, this is a work of God. This is a supernatural work. This is not something that any of us can do on our own. Now, that doesn't change our own responsibility in order to participate in the work that the Lord is doing. But we need to have humility to say that this is a work of God, and apart from God, I can do nothing. So, how do we transform our hearts? First, we recognize it is a work of God. Next, we need to recognize and admit that our heart is sick and self-deceiving. Jeremiah 17, 9, a powerful verse says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Are you willing to admit that your heart is sick apart from the work that Jesus has done and, and is doing? Are you willing to, to pray a prayer of Proverbs 28, 26? It says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Believing that you in and of yourself have the thinking, the feeling, or the doing to accomplish any of this, God calls you a fool. But, but we need to have humble hearts to admit that. We need to admit it to God, but we also need to have humility with each other to say, I can't do this alone. I need that brother and sister in Christ to stop me from running into a podium or, or walking off a cliff or making a bad decision in, in a relationship or cheating on an exam. I, I need other people in my life. That, that takes humility before God and before others. We also need to take proactive steps to enact our will to protect ourselves. We need to protect our eyes and protect our ears and protect our feet. Galatians 6, 7 echoes a lot of the theme of Proverbs is you will reap what you sow, right? If you do this, a lot of times it's going to lead to that. If you walk down the path of folly that we had illustrated earlier, it's going to lead to death. So you need to take active steps in order to protect what you're hearing, the music you're listening to, the friends you're surrounding yourself, and the words that they may use. You need to take active steps to protect your eyes and what you're watching, what you're looking at on your phone, what movies you're watching on, on your TV. These are things that you can do to say, I'm not going to fill myself, my ears, my eyes, and, and I'm not going to put myself, my feet, in positions that are going to be negative influences. To the best of my ability, I'm going to protect myself from my eyes, my ears, and my feet from evil, from the path of folly. You can study and meditate on Scripture. You can recognize that God gives you himself, he gives you his word, and he gives you his works to, to transform you, to, to change you. And we need to focus on those things. So often in our lives, day in, day out, include school and classes and sports, we can get so consumed with negative thoughts. But God calls us to something much, much greater. So uh, I'll get to it quickly because we're running out of Philippians uh, 4.8. He tells us to um, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When you consider what you have been thinking about, even just today or last night or last week as school start, how much time did you give thinking about what is true? What is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, whatever is commendable. I, I've looked at teenagers' text messages, uh, emails, and I've heard plenty of conversations. I can tell you most of what 
uh, I've observed you talk about is not any of those things, right? Some of it can just be nonsense. Some of it can be very negative as well. We need to consider God's word and are we meditating on the things that are true and honorable and just? And if we're not, we need to take steps to do that, to study scripture, not just study it, meditate it, memorize it. Uh, uh, Psalm 119.11, what do we do? We hide his word in our hearts, in our thinking, our feeling, our desires, so that we may not sin against you, so we may not sin against God. And then it's not just the do not statements. It's not just, well, I've got to stay away from my bad friends. No, we also need to focus on greater things. We need to focus on greater desires. You want to know how to feel different things, how to change your desires? Well, you need to grow in your desires for greater things. You need to grow in your desire for Jesus. So if you're struggling with desiring something that's sinful, you don't need to just focus on not desiring that thing. Because if I tell you don't think about elephants, what do you think about? Elephants. No. If, to, to stop thinking about elephants, you need to think about zebras, plugging puppies, whatever your favorite animal is, okay? So similar to our desires, if we're, if we're having sinful desires, we need to redirect our focus towards godly desires. We need to grow in our relationship and our love for him. And with that, our heart will be uh, changed, will be transformed. Uh, Craig Troxell, an author, talks about the heart. He says, because the heart is the wellspring of our life, because the heart is deceitful above all things, because the heart houses our treasure, and because the heart is under constant attack, we must be ever vigilant in keeping it, watching it both inward and outward. We preserve our godly life while we protect it from temptations. We preserve the purity and devotion of our desires as well as protect ourselves from impurity and false loves. And we preserve the godly strength and submissiveness of our will while we protect it from ungodly weaknesses and rebellion. Only God can transform, but he has called us to participate in that work with him. At the bottom of your handout, I gave you, uh, first at the very bottom, uh, some, other, some other resources you could look at, particularly when you're talking about the mind and the desires, the, the thinking and the feeling. These are two great resources that uh, I strongly encourage you to work through on your own or work through with others. But I've also given you some reflection questions that you can consider all these different aspects of the biblical heart so, uh, and apply the wisdom that we're talking about for real-life situations. So... Try this exercise. Take a real-life situation. What's going on in my life right now? Pick one thing. Answer honestly, what do I think about it? What do I feel about it? And then what am I doing about it? But then the even more important question is to ask, what does God say I should think, feel, and do about it? It is only in living the way God wants us to, in thinking the way God wants us to, feeling the way that God wants us to, that we are on the path of wisdom and the path of life. So some reflection questions there. And to go even deeper, I gave you an extra handout. Uh, it's called Questions to Ask Yourself to Search Your Own Heart. Now, this is some pretty deep stuff, and this can be hard to work through. But I want to encourage you guys to sit, some, sit down sometime uh, over the next week and fill this out. Try and be honest. Ask for God to reveal any areas of your heart that you may be struggling with. And try and uh, don't give the Sunday school answer to any of these questions, but open, uh, answer them openly and honestly. You guys have uh, small group leaders, uh, but also know you have me. If you have some questions about this and you're filling some things out and you're like, no, I don't think that my thinking or my feeling or my doing is in line with what God would have it to be. That's, again, what I do as a biblical counselor. If you come to me with any of those, if my thinking, feeling, or doing are off, 
I'm going to say, I would love to help you worship God by applying his truths to your everyday real life situations. That's what we're called to do for each other. That's what I do formally through the biblical counseling ministry, but we should be doing that day in, day out with each other, with our friends, with our family members, and any else, anybody else that God brings in our lives. The best part about teaching is, is I can leave very little time for questions that I probably can't answer. So you've got like 10 seconds. Here. Oh, no, you've got 30 seconds. Any, any questions about the heart? One thing I can always rely on is you guys aren't going to ask me anything. So, okay. But if you do have something that you want to talk about, I would love to talk about that either today or the days or weeks ahead. Like I said, you're going to be stuck with me for uh, several more chapters of Proverbs, chapters 5 and chapter 7. So if you don't already know what those are about, yeah, we're going to have some fun unpacking some of that. So uh, let me close, uh, close this in prayer and you guys get on with rest of the day. So, oh, Heavenly Father, just even spending a few minutes here unpacking your amazing wisdom and really recognizing the complexity of the heart that you have given us, Lord. You have made us thinking people. You have made us feeling people, and you have made us doing people. And Lord, uh, in just a moment of honesty, we recognize that our thinking, feeling, and doing are oftentimes against or hostile to what you would have it to be. So, so Father, just, just break down any, any sinful thinking, any sinful desires, any sinful thinking that we are doing and just restore our hearts even here this morning so that we can love you and love others uh, in more, uh, more and more ways and we can make your name known uh, wherever you have us. Your name we pray. Amen.